Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we discuss Star Trek The Discovery's second season finale, Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 2. But before we get into that, Annika, do you want to tell our listeners where you are recording right now? So uh, it's Anime Boston weekend, and mm-hmm. so I'm in a Boston Hilton, and my children are asleep in, in the room, so I'm in the bathroom. But it's, <laughs> it's a nice one. It has like a little ledge by the tub, and I'll be honest, when I arrived, I was like, maybe I could podcast while in the tub. <laughs> I, I I decided against that, but but it would be possible. I can see how it would go terribly, terribly yeah. wrong, yeah. and yet goals. I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it sounds it's like very soothing, but uh, but <laughs> I I wouldn't want. It sounds like a terrible way to die as well. And today, also embarrassing. Today is not a good day to die. Oh my god. So we're recording this, usually we record this on your Friday night, my Saturday morning, or Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, This time we were kind of both not really in a position to record uh, uh, in the morning, my time. So this is your morning, my Saturday evening. That's right. So it's actually past my bedtime. Oh no, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, 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 it's completely fine. It's a long weekend. I can sleep in tomorrow. I don't have to get up early to record a podcast, Woo-hoo. but uh, I kind of, I hate being negative and I had a lot of problems with this episode, so I feel like maybe we should like try not to linger, mm. you know? Yes. Just say, say, say our piece and, uh, and, and I know I have a, a, a long list of things that I didn't like, but I have a longer list of things I did like. I did, I did write out the lists. Looking at your lists... I was very upset yesterday. I was spoiled before, hours before I saw the episode. So I knew quite early on that Kat died and I was actually glad to have that time to adjust. But then I spent the next 10 hours crying on and off. And I'm not really a person who cries a lot. So it was very strange and uncomfortable. And finally I realized I was getting sick and that made me feel a lot better about it. But uh, it's been a rough time. (laughs) It's it's weird because... I am the type to cry. I cry like every week at Star Trek Discovery and all of my other series, but I have yet to cry. As soon as the uh, camera zoomed in on that uh, door panel thing, I turned mm. to my cat and said, Sushi, I'm concerned. <laughs> and and, uh, and, I, and I, I, like, I knew in that moment and I was sort of like, okay, and I just kept watching and a lot of things happened that I felt like I really should be crying about but I have been completely Vulcan from that moment and you know now I'm at my convention and so I'm distracted Mm. by other things uh but yeah no no crying is happening well I recommend that course because I cried so much I basically didn't have eyes and it was very uncomfortable I don't recommend it try not to have feelings (laughs) feelings are bad I don't know because like uh I mean, that's, that's how I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, Sarah could be so proud of me right now because <laughs> I, am, I have no feelings. I am just going on, put, you know, compartmentalizing everything in, into little boxes and everything's fine. But uh, I don't know. It's weird. At some point, it'll, it'll hit me like two weeks from now <laughs> and then I'll be really upset. Yeah, I, I've... We could talk about this in more detail in sort of chronological order, but yeah. it sort of left the whole episode feeling very pointless and there was some stuff that I seriously disliked and I really feel like the writers have lost a lot of my trust and goodwill but at the same time you know talking about it with friends today and reading the meta of people who did like it and looking at the gift sets there was so much about this episode that was good and the stuff that was bad was relatively inconsequential and I feel like I would be more forgiving if Cat was alive. So I'm sort of trying to step back and say, see how much of this is my own bias and and like I'm having my feelings and I'm allowed to have my feelings, but just because I'm having feelings doesn't make them fact, mm. if that makes sense. 
At the same time, some of the stuff that's bad is very, very bad. Yeah. And, and you know, like we should have, we should have known. We, we said yes last week, like, oh, we, we really liked the penultimate episode last season mm. and then the, the, the finale let us down and oops. <laughs> I mean, but I'll start with, with one thing that I, that it was a huge improvement over last yes. season is that the pacing of this episode was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, always complaining yeah. about the pacing, but this episode, they started off, you know, at, at 10, and uh, they really didn't let up the whole time, and yeah, yeah, I it agree. really worked, and it was, a, you know, it was even over an hour, it wasn't just an hour-long episode, it was like it didn't feel that minutes long. or something like that, but that meant that they had enough time to do all of the things that they wanted to do, whereas last hmm. season, I felt like the last episode should have been a two-parter and I feel like they learned (laughs) we know stuff was filmed last season that never made it to air like uh scenes of the peace treaty or ceasefire between the Klingons and the Federation being signed and I think a lot of that was actually really important to the world building and I feel a lot better about how this finale was paced I don't think it needed the flashbacks I think that was a waste of time and some of the flashbacks this week and the speeches last week could have been trimmed down or removed and it could have been one 90-minute episode. Yeah, I, I also but, have on the... On my, I, so I have <laughs> things I like, things I don't like, and things I hate. And so things I don't mm. like was the time journey through the season of clips, yawn, then they're done that literally. <laughs> like, like <laughs> A, they need to trust their audience to remember this stuff, B, going forward, the audience is going to be watching this, you know, binging and is not going to need these flashbacks and it's just going to be insulting. Yeah, they're just annoying. Exactly. So I understand why they're there, but I think that was a choice that... I think they made the bat, made a wrong choice. It's not the end of the world. Right. It's, it's, it's the middle list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, stuff that I really did enjoy was the overall battle. I had some trouble following it because I wasn't feeling very well, but the special effects were great. The sense of scale with these tiny little ships and drones that look like midges flying around the air, you know, in swarms of insects. That was just lovely, and we've never seen anything like it in Star Trek. Yeah, and the the shot when the Enterprise pulled up to shield the Discovery... That was Gorgeous. amazing. And then I was like, oh, look, I'm shipping the ships again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so good job. For the first time, I had a really strong sense of how a space battle works in Star Trek. Star Trek isn't really known for the space battles the way like Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica are. No, and I do think that's because both of those franchises tended to have smaller and more agile ships manoeuvring around bigger ships. Yeah. And Star Trek has rarely ever done that until now. And I think there probably are ways to do really cool space battles with really big starships, but uh, they just don't seem as manoeuvrable as they should be. I think cool stuff was done with Discovery and the Spore Drive last year, but never to this extent. Usually, like, I don't really care about space battles. That isn't why I watch science no. fiction or, or but but I was impressed with what they did so I usually enjoy them for a minute and then get bored you know I saw a, a commenter saying this felt like nemesis but good because Star Trek nemesis has this really long space battle and it's so boring and there's no characterization it's yeah. just spaceships I don't even I don't remember nemesis like the the first time I saw nemesis I went I knew I had seen it but then when I when I went to watch it again, I was like, I don't I remember I remembered nothing. Like I did I was like, I have to watch it again because I literally remember nothing. And then I watched it the second time and I was like, I understand why I remember nothing. Yeah. <laughs> literally all I remembered from seeing it at the cinema was Admiral Janeway. Yes, exactly. Because that's the that's why I, I name all the um, Star Trek films after like uh a, a woman character who is awesome in them and that's that's yeah so that's star trek admiral janeway and that's really the only yeah. reason to watch nemesis i think i think we could do a, an interesting episode about it i think it has a lot of potential but yeah it's it's just a very boring movie that doesn't care about the characters whereas this finale it really every single member of the ensemble got a good moment exactly yes the, this... some of those moments involve them dying <laughs> well 
Yeah, so let's, just we want to go through, like, just the different characters that, that had their moments, or? Yeah, Jojo was very prominent. She and uh, Saru bond over Sun Tzu, which is delightful. And then she has her pursuit of Leland, which I really enjoyed watching, you know, her team up with Nan, and Nan is so... You know, I like Nan, but we've never had a really strong sense of her personality. And now we see that she has this little bloodthirsty side to her. But it's not horrible the way Landry could be horrible. It was, she was delightful. Nan, like, yes. throughout the the episode was just, like, she was just coming back with those quips. And she was, like, she was bonding with, with Giorgio, too. And it, it was really fun. And it's sort of, you know, you can, she doesn't know that Giorgio is Taryn. So she just sees her as, you know, the shady spy lady, mm. but not like evil. And so she was just playing, you know, she, she was getting in and yeah, yeah the, the bloodthirsty and they were like doing their little lady thing. And it was great. I just thought it was Yeah, it, it was, was so fun <laughs> and amazing stunts. And, you know, I could watch Michelle Yeoh walk down a corridor and read the phone book, but her face as Leland disintegrates. And this is the second season in a row that's ended with her causing the disintegration of the white male antagonist, which is delightful. Uh, but her face, she's so joyous and she's literally giggling and it's horrifying, but it's really, it was just so good to watch. It's cathartic. Yes. I, again, I, I, we've, we've gone over my feelings about the Emperor. And, yes. I, and you, I think it's okay to be like, I'm a little disturbed by how much I'm enjoying this. But mm. I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think I need to feel guilty over it. Because, I mean, first of all, it is television and it is a story. Yeah. And everybody in the series, like, it's not realistic. They're all, it's all space opera. It's all a little bit <laughs> over the top because these are stories. Yeah, I feel I enjoy after the last, you know, four years of of uh, how difficult it is to be a woman in my society uh, to to enjoy Michelle Yeoh giggling at the destruction. And it's not, you know, it's not even Leland. It's a it's He's control. not a person anymore. You know? So, yeah, so yeah. Like, you know. I feel no guilt about, about that. Leland is dead. He has d- died heroically in his way, and now it's just his yeah. body walking around. Control apparently killed off in the entirety of Section 31. I assume just beamed them all into space. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> wow, Control. Yeah, there, there's nothing human about any of that, and, uh, and it's great, mm. but... Because it is, uh, you know, in his Sarri even says, you'll see a human face. And it's like, I don't, I didn't have the reaction of, I, poor Leland, I feel so, so badly. I, you know, poor, poor human. I had the reaction of, ha, 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 Philippa destroyed Everybody hates guy. you. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was delightful and satisfying. And I think, you know, there are a lot of things that I wish they had done differently with Control. But ultimately, he was just a very hissable villain. And sometimes I enjoy the simplicity of hissing at the bad guy. And they weren't the Borg, so you win. I know. If I wasn't so upset, I would be so self-satisfied. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather just be wrong and have Cat alive. Well, yeah, I mean. Mm. Other parts of the battle that were really um, exciting and po. amazing. Poe showing up was I mean, we knew that I knew that she was out there hiding and that she oh, was yeah, gonna do something was... great. But she was like, I know how to beat these guys, follow me <laughs> and and uh, and Pike was just like, Okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> um but it was it was so great that they totally, you know, he was like, All right, teenage girl, make you know, she figured it out, so we're gonna we're gonna follow her and that and that was another like so I was just so excited to see her get that. And, yes, uh, yes. And as a person who consumes and who would like to create a lot of YA fiction aimed at girls, I just thought it was really cool to have Pike going, trust this teenage girl. Yeah. I mean, teenage girls yeah. would get a lot of, they, they are the, very low on the, on the totem pole. And, mm. you know, even just like straight media will just make fun of them. I mean, yeah, all the yeah. time for what, what they like and, and say that, you know, they can't, 
that they, they, they have to try harder to do things like science or, or they, you know, that, that it's, it's, and it is more difficult, but it's more difficult because of society, not because they're not capable. So, you know, I was literally just reading uh, before dinner, uh, the book, The Making of the Trek Conventions by Joan Winston, which is sort of an oral history of the early Star Trek conventions. And she straight up says most of the people attending these these early conventions were uh, college aged and high school aged girls. You know, this is fandom. This is Star Trek. Right. And, you know, it's, it was mostly women in their 30s and older who were doing the organising and doing tremendous amounts of work to make the conventions happen. But it was the girls turning up and learning from those women and, you know, taking over. So Poe is for them. <laughs> and and it, yes. I approve. Good, good job. And I love her. I guess setting aside my desire to ship her with Tilly, this is why there's so much emphasis on Poe only being 17. Right. And, mm. and, and, and since she doesn't get to go with them, so, so Tilly yeah, and Poe can't yeah. happen anyway, which, you know, well, like I'm sad, but I'm also like, I guess she would be abandoning her people, <laughs> so we shouldn't do that. Yeah, I feel like everything we know about Poe is that she would not leave her planet forever. Exactly. But we don't know how long Zaheans live. <laughs> That's true. Maybe 17 is really, really young for them. Yeah, yeah, and they're all like, I can't believe you're interested in a girl who's less than 500 years old. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the whole episode was Poe saying, go, go. As the, I know, as the I know. Went into, I mean, that was beautiful. So her whole, all of Poe is beautiful and I love her. She's so hopeful and optimistic and she truly believes in Tilly and everything that Tilly believes in. And that really means a lot to me. And then the Klingons and the Kelpians also come to help, which is the, 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 the team up you never expected, but delicious. <laughs> I mean, I, I was expecting the Klingons. I, I was like, oh, Ash is going to get the Klingons. That makes sense. Like, you know, never I, crossed once, my once, mind. I, once I thought about it a few, a few minutes, I was like, oh, I know where he's going. <laughs> but the Kelpians, it was like, I thought that they had just decided to forget that that happened, except for like... The, that it was something about mm. Saru. I didn't and and uh, and his relationship with his sister, but I didn't think it was good about the whole of the Kelpians coming back. I am concerned though. Like I'm glad. I, I think it's hilarious but cool that uh, mm-hmm. his sister, you know, learned how to to fly a fighter and led an army of of you know they had been slaves a week ago. But whatever, that's great. Um, so they're they know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I am willing to wave a magic wand and say, yeah, they can do that because it's it's empowering. But I'm concerned as to what happened to the Baul. <laughs> I really wish that we'd gotten like even just a glimpse of a Baul co-pilot yeah. in Serana's ship. That like, would have made me feel better. Like, what, I'm just... What happened there? And we're never going to find out because the discovery is moving on. So I feel like of all the species that we know of, we're most likely to see, to visit Kaminar a thousand years in the future. I can, I can, I can see that. I don't feel very safe making any predictions for this far in the future. I don't actually like far future SF for that reason, but Kaminar is something I'm confident of seeing. Because of its importance to Saru and to this particular story? Yeah, yeah, and I think we can skip over however many hundreds of years of problems there are and maybe it will be a wonderful utopia maybe someone one group will have eaten all of the others maybe they'll be really pissed off at Saru because they had so many centuries of conflicts in finding a new balance who knows it could be anything that's true yeah I do I do I do think that because we know that they had been they had they already had thousands of years of flux that it went back and mm. forth between the two of them i can see that 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 would that it would be a good place to go in and check out yeah <laughs> but in in terms of this episode i was just a little i had that brief moment of oh dear what happened to the bubble <laughs> no same same and i was also looking at the klingons going okay but just a couple of weeks ago it was a fairly big thing that they couldn't know that ash was alive <laughs> is this meant to be happening yeah, <laughs> I mean, there weren't that many people on her bridge, so maybe these are like her closest advisors who can know the truth. Mm. I don't know. 
It doesn't make sense, but whatever. <laughs> Since season one, Discovery has been a show where someone will just declare something classified and no one ever speaks of it again. And that's obviously what Laurel did. Bless her heart, she learned from Kat. <laughs> I love, you know, I love Laurel and I love Laurel as she has been, but it was also like really great to see Laurel coming full Klingon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and yeah. really, you know, that that battle ready. It was just, it was beautiful. And she said, she said, it's a good day to die. And I was like, yes. I scared my cat. I saw Mary Chifo retweeted yes, your yes. tweet about that. So that was delightful. I'm sorry that's probably the last we'll see of her, but, you know, what a way to send her off. Well, she could be in the Section 31 show with Ash. They still have a, I... they, they have a thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not in a big part, but she could come in, you know, swoop in again, <laughs> is what I'm saying. She could, she could, this could be her, her future from now on. Or, as previously stated... Mary Chifo could just be recast as many awesome aliens. Or humans. Or humans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be very happy to see Mary Chifo play everyone. I would like to see her in all of the treks and also every other show. If she wants to turn up in the good fight when I finally get around to watching that, great. Everything else. Stranger Things. I was going to say Game of Thrones, but that's finished. You but know, there's like a Game I of Thrones spin-off, so she can be one of those. Oh, I forgot. Oh, that's a prequel too. Do you think that will end with the fandom freaking out and pressuring them to send it into the future? <laughs> I mean, it, it will. The fandom will freak out no matter what. It is known. That's a given. I, this is another episode where the fandom is sort of rapturous. And I, again, there are a lot of things I liked. And I like the direction mm. they chose. In, gen yeah. in general. <laughs> it's interesting, I thought, that the torpedo that ultimately killed Cat turned up in Michael and Jet's vision. Yeah. I, have, like, I have questions. Much like the bowl. I'm like, hmm. Having considered a lot of my issues with this episode, even down to the toxic subtext that we'll get to, I really think could have been saved with a bit of bit more care in the writing. So that's unfortunate. And I think normally I'd be forgiving, but there comes a point where I don't. Yeah, it, the issue is that Jet having that vision comes to nothing. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't seem affected by it. She's not, she doesn't make any difference except she charges the crystal and she's fine. Right. And because, as you, as you point out, it, it was the torpedo that killed a cat, which, the, you know, mm. the writers decided that they needed to kill somebody in order to have this emotional investment or whatever, because mm. destroying the entire universe isn't enough of an emotional investment, I guess. Well, no, I do understand that because the entire universe is very abstract and one individual who we know and care about. But we care about it's, all it's of these really people hard. and they were all stuck in it, so. Yeah, yeah, like they didn't want to kill any of the bridge crew because, you know, they're a really awesome company, they couldn't or felt like they couldn't kill any of the Enterprise crew in you, I would have been okay with them killing number one. And that's quite heartless of me. I love number one. But one, I don't actually think they've served her character very well uh, in terms of extrapolating her from the cage. But also, because she's not in the menagerie, that was another loose end that has never been tied up. And there's always been this question of why does Spock rush to help Pike and not number one? And... The external answer is that because the same actress played Nurse Chapel and it would be weird, but killing her in this battle would have made sense. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And I, I wouldn't have thought of it, but, and, but I mean, like, the, the reaction would have been, I think more people would be up, upset, and, but maybe they would be upset for the wrong reason the way that we are upset. So... Yeah. So I don't know. I am just... I think that we could have had... A lot of heightened drama in that scene between number one and Cat and Pike without any of them dying. I think it could have been, uh, you know, everybody's on edge and how are we going to get out of this? And and mm. she decides that yes, I'm going to sacrifice myself myself. And then they come up with a plan. Like they could have come up with a plan instead of arguing about who's going to sacrifice themselves, they mm. could have figured out a way not to sacrifice. 
like not to make that sacrifice happen. I mean, it, it's yeah. as simple as transport her out of there. This is like this isn't hard. And yeah, yeah. And they do like you could say, oh, but transport her down, except that they transport Spock like five minutes later. So <laughs> or you could say they had to set up a shield around that room to protect the ship. And that's why she can't be beamed out. But then it's like the physical mechanics of it were so silly. Like she could have just crouched down, pulled the lever from outside and she would have lost an arm as the door dropped. But hey, you're alive. And right. amputation is actually interesting because it's one of the few injuries in Star Trek that can't just be healed with a magic wand. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways for that to have been emotionally investing without mm. a death. And, I, and the thing is that, again, I haven't cried. I am not emotionally invested because I saw that, that mm. death coming. And so I just was like, nope. <laughs> like I, and so it, it worked, you know, and I'm, I'm an outlier. And I admit that. But I am, I am, I've become less emotionally invested because of this, mm. this happenstance. Well, see, if I had been unspoiled and watched it live, that would have been my reaction. But I was reading Reddit and I literally went from, wow, that exchange between Pike and Cornwell was so good to, I can't believe Cornwell made that sacrifice. And that's when I went to the Discord and went, um, guys, is Cat okay? And then I had nine hours until the episode dropped and I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. But I couldn't do anything else either. Yeah, and that's my, my other, like, little quibble is that Pike is there. Like, that mm. it was, I was really excited that she was hanging out with number one. I was like, this is great. Yeah. This is the best thing ever. I am so happy. And then number one got, like, sent away for no particular reason. Because, I mean, okay, the reason was that Pike was going to sacrifice himself because it is super in character for Pike to sacrifice yeah. himself and because he was pretty sure that he would survive it. So, yes. and the thing is, like I have a lot of friends who have come to Discovery new to Trek and they have no familiarity or emotional engagement with the original series and they're not hugely into Pike as a character because he's just another white guy. They don't hate him like they hated Lorca, but they're not particularly compelled by him. And they have. They don't care about the menagerie. They don't care about canon. What they saw was a season, a whole season that set up Pike, heroically sacrificing himself for others, and then the series backs down from that and instead lets a woman take his place. Yeah, and I've seen a lot. I mean, there was. A, let me see if I can find it because I can quote it exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, this was Captain Revo on Twitter mm. um, pointing out that every big moment in, in this episode, big character moment, was done by a woman, not a man. Uh, yeah. So, uh, which I agree is, is great and exciting and, and something that has, hasn't been a part of sci-fi or Star Trek. Um, you know, the big hero moments. Um, being given, you know, the, the Captain Kirk moments being given to mm. the women. And that includes Cat um, sacrificing herself. And so... Mm. Which is actually very much like Kirk's apparent sacrifice in Generations. Yeah. Or, mm. you know, uh, Spock sacrificing himself in The Wrath of Khan. And then... Yeah, except that was stupid. <laughs> well, okay. But, uh, but it was a big sacrifice, sacrificial moment. <laughs> Yes, yes. The, the it, trope of sacrificing one yes. person for the entire crew. Because she, she's right. It, it could have, you know, who knows what, what would have happened. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate it on, on that level. But I just don't think that self-sacrifice was needed at all. Because it, didn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense for, like, it doesn't make sense for her character. From everything we've seen... Of Cornwell, she's the type to fight to survive. Like she's a cockroach. Every single thing that she has done in, a nice in the series up until this point has been clawing at the darkness to overcome, you know, to 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 crawl out of the hole, right? And so yeah. her standing and saluting her death was like, no, <laughs> that that isn't. It. She's gonna dive under the door and, and lose her arm. That's that's more of a her in within her character as I understand her 
and yeah, Kai it felt like is very. I'm gonna stand in front of everybody and shield them. So yes. it was just weird that it was those two, like, and it was weird. It didn't fit their characters naturally, and it's like we were saying in the Discord earlier this week. Cat has not had an arc this season. Like, we have no sense of where she is emotionally or psychologically. And maybe part of her went, okay, well, I was prepared to authorise a genocide and Pike is not that person, so I should be the one. And that makes sense. And it's kind of noble and terrible and sad. But we don't know. No. And and the one, like, big scene that she had was with Hugh. Hugh and she basically said, life is a choice, keep making choices. Like, hmm. <laughs> so... So it just, it seemed like it was more, even if she was feeling the upset, I don't, I don't know. It, I didn't make, it didn't make sense to me. And then coupled with the fact that we don't see Jet reacting to the vision mm. at all, I was like, okay, maybe she didn't get the exact vision as Michael because we only see the beginning of it. Maybe she mm. she saw Kat's sacrifice and she was, she's going to beam her out of there at the last minute <laughs> because, you know, and and even the way it was filmed, I was like, she could have beamed her out. She could be, she could show up <laughs> on Discovery a thousand years in the future. It'll be great. Surprise! Except for all of the writers saying, no, she was she's dead because we needed her to be dead. And so... Like, I get where they're coming from, but I disagree, mm. and I... In theory, I think this was a good heroic death for a character who was only meant to last three episodes. Kat was conceived to be in three episodes. She was going to give Lorca his orders, tell him to cut the crap, sleep with him, and then die. And instead she lived, and she got a much more... You know, that's a sort of reductive women who sleep with the wrong man will die storyline and instead she lived and she got to do so much more so i really think that we were very lucky but i'm also sad yeah i just i i, I didn't it didn't serve the story enough for me yeah that's yeah. all i just i just needed it to make more sense <laughs> and uh, and so i'll just be i'll just be salty and sad about it and be like oh well <laughs> like she wouldn't have to ever see her again because they left and we're gonna we're gonna go to a whole different show now so it's not even like about this character being a part of the future or, yeah, or you know yeah. continuing on in it's just I didn't I don't I didn't need a noble sacrifice to be invested in the story I feel like they didn't trust me to care without killing her off and instead of caring I don't care that's that's sort of my beef for the whole season and I don't know if we want to talk about that tonight or uh, maybe in a future episode but I feel like the whole season betrayed a lack of trust in the audience like it was you know season one did a lot to deconstruct our nostalgia for for our ideas about Star Trek and Obviously, if you're deconstructing something, you need to construct something to put in its place. But uh, season one, season two was more of a straightforward replication of our nostalgia. And not even my nostalgia, but the nostalgia of like people who think that the only good Star Trek is TOS and TNG, which are both great, but there is more to television than those two series. And so I feel like there was a lack of trust for the audience the whole way through. And... The ending, which I guess we're close to getting to, was about pandering to the wrong half of the audience. And killing off Cat is sort of part of that. Like, sending Discovery into the future means they can sort of go, oh, these these people of colour, these queer people, these weirdos like Tilly, they're gone now. They're, they're not getting their cooties all over your precious Kirk and Spock. And killing Kat, who is also a very unpopular character with that crowd, feels like a part of that. Yeah. So about um, trusting the audience, I, mm. I, <laughs> yes, and I think we've been saying that all along that that they keep, you know, I, I was complaining about when uh, 
they would make a decision and then they would show like the scene that happened five minutes yeah. ago. And it's like, I didn't need to see that. I just saw it. You should, you know, I'm paying attention. And I don't know, like maybe they feel in, you know, the Netflix era that people aren't paying attention. I don't know that, that people are going quickly to the next thing. But because I spend a lot of time on Reddit, I do see a lot of people who I think watch Discovery with their phone in their hand and don't follow the story. But that's but you should, not the story's problem. Right, you shouldn't be like you shouldn't be making your story to the people who aren't paying attention to it. Exactly. That is the that is those people's choice and nothing is going like you cannot dumb it down to their satisfaction. Like I feel like this whole season in a way, and especially this ending, is answering people who are not asking questions in good faith. Yeah. And they like this isn't the first time that they've done this enterprise actually has on paper a really interesting premise yes and then i was reading just recently that the first six the first half season of enterprise was meant to take place on earth and was meant to be entirely about the politics of building the enterprise and the fraught collaboration between the humans and the vulcans And UPN said, no, our audience is not going to understand or find that, understand that or find that interesting. And Paul was originally Paul, who they did eventually yes. bring in. But like, there's just so many, and even just as it stands, like just a prequel where they're, they're going in and this is the first time anyone on earth mm. went out on a real deep space mission, like just that. And, you know, being a prequel, I know people hate prequels, but I don't i love to see how we get to where we started i agree and for me the value of discovery being a prequel was to introduce 21st century values and concepts to a 1960s setting you know we have a woman of color in a lead role we have women in command we have queer people and we're not just saying they'll be there later we're saying they were there all along and that's i mean one of the it's Discovery does this really well in some in some senses. The amount of women that were on Enterprise's bridge mm. in this episode was really strong and empowering when you know that he, uh, Pike says that terrible line in the cage that... I'm not used to having a woman right, on the bridge. And he's surrounded by them. Mm. They are all women. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Yeah. So, I mean, like... And and it's a bit silly, but I love that Colt was re-envisioned as this incredibly alien-looking spiky red woman who sort of calls back to the original design of Spock looking like a red-horned demon. And I love the idea that she's this incredibly feminine character who has a desperate crush on her captain. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, all... Like, all of it is great. My, my uh, anonymous red shirt comms officer has a name. Her name is Lieutenant Man. Lieutenant Man. I'm very, I'm very happy that she got that. <laughs> I'm happy for both of you. <laughs> so, you know, Discovery does good things. And, in, you know, even Enterprise did some good things. But they both suffer from not trusting the audience, not trusting their mm. premise, and not trusting the audience to come to their premise. Yeah. And the other thing... Look, well, can we skip to the epilogue? Yes. It's literally three white men, one man of colour and one white woman conspiring to erase the achievements of a woman of colour and her queer and diverse comrades. And I know it's meant to be played like a tragedy, but it feels like a metaphor, but it's literally happening on screen. I mean, the fact that 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 was was the last thing we get in, in season two... Yeah, it felt it felt like a backdoor pilot for a Pike series, and not in a good way. We don't we don't get to see where Discovery went, and I know that they like oh now we can do anything now we're you know mm. and that's like I get it, but seeing Michael's face like I would like the last thing to be Michael's face on the other side of the hole instead of yeah. Spock shaving off his this evil is... beard that everyone I hated. love his beard. I miss his beard. Like I was just, but yeah, that was like is... a complaint from the first pictures we got of Spock was, why does he have a beard? And the fact that they 
they shave that like that's that's the last thing we mm. get is Spock mm. being like I don't have a beard and yeah exactly that it, it's they're on the Enterprise page and they're gonna go forward so it's their series now and obviously that's not true but that's what it comes off as and I think once we have season three we can look at back look back at that and put it in the context of this is our farewell to the 23rd century which I'm actually very sad about oh gosh I didn't realize I was that sad um but right now it feels like they've hijacked Michael's story and that's what happened with Fringe, which is another Alex Kurtzman show, which started out as the Olivia show and became about Peter. Yep. But the other thing I was going to say was I was furious with that whole scene. And between that and Killing Cat, I was like, OK, well, they can give us a Pike series. And I was in favour of that. But right now I'm done with the 23rd century. The fanboys can have it. They've made it great again. But now I'm less angry now. Now I just feel like... What they need, what Discovery needs for season three, above all else, is an African-American woman in the writer's room. Because that's what they don't have, and that's who this series is about. Yeah, there, like, you know, there was like a poll, you know, who's going to be Captain Saru or Michael, mm. and I'm just like, why are, like, fine, you know. I'm not, nothing against Saru or his arc to becoming Captain, no, I love Saru, but, but this is Michael's series. Yeah, it's just really annoying that, that, that she that she has to earn it or something. Mm. <laughs> and it, like, Michael has changed very little over this season. She's let go of some of her guilt, but she still essentially has a martyr complex and a sense of taking on the responsibility for the well-being of the universe. That hasn't changed, and that should have changed. So a lot of her arc was really about being the catalyst for Spock's growth. Yeah. And if, if that had been reciprocal, I would have loved it. But because it was so relatively one-sided on her part, uh, it's just another case of they need an African-American woman yeah. writing this because that's clearly a voice that's being overlooked. Spock spent the whole, like, up until the end, Spock was the voice of... The complaint that Michael has a martyr complex. Michael takes too much mm. on her own back. Michael uh, has a control, you know. They, they, like, it's mm. sort of, it could have been so good if Michael's need to be in control was paralleled with control with the control. AI. Like, it would have been yeah. so good, but that's not actually what we got because, as you say, like, Michael spends her last moments in her time period telling Spock how to live his life, which is mm. like, it's lovely. Like, you know, it, it, it's like, okay, it's find great. your person. And obviously that's Kirk and I get it. But like, that was not necessary when... Because the episode has essentially lost me by then, I was like, this is so beautiful. They're pandering to the Kirk Spock shippers who already hate Michael. Yeah. Like, and... and the black woman playing nursemaid and facilitating the relationship between the two white dudes is a cliche in fandom for a reason and a really toxic one. And the fact that Mike, like, okay, so now we're supposed to believe that even though Michael is the person who told Spock how to find his, I forget the Vulcan word for it, but Hyla or whatever, um, mm. That is Kirk, like that that bond, that soul bond type person, right? Michael's yeah. the one who told him to find it and trust it and believe in it, but Spock never told Kirk about her? We're supposed to believe that? I don't believe it for a minute. I believe that Spock told Kirk about Michael. I believe that when he melted with Sarek, Picard learned all about Michael. I like, like part of me wants to believe that Picard went on a mission to uh, restore Michael's memory and her place in history. But what I keep picturing, and I don't know why I'm getting teary at this because it's actually kind of funny. What I'm picturing is that listen up y'all, I'm gonna learn you a history type of post on Tumblr, which sends me down a rabbit hole about thinking about Picard's side tumblers. And obviously he has a Klingaboo one and an archeology span shitposting one and the Michael Burnham is the best.tumblr.com one. <laughs> it's anonymous, no one knows who it is. <laughs> because, because he's going against regulations. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like two thirds Vulcan memes, one third actual legit history. <laughs> but, it can, but it's like you know all those uh, conspiracy theories about about history that end up you know mm. fifty years later being proven true because like, it was really just about racism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that thing on Tumblr where they're like, historians don't want you to know this. And actually it's like historians don't have the money to publicise this properly or research it properly. But actually it's Starfleet doesn't want you to know this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now that, that that's amazing and, and Picard should definitely Thinking about Picard's that. Tumblrs always makes me happy again. But yeah, so exactly. Like I, I do believe that Picard and I kind of like someone someone suggested that the Picard series could be about Picard going to find uh you know sort of backwards archaeological stuff of of uh, discovery and and because mm. because now he knows everything so he's gonna go find the spore drive or whatever but I was like that's hilarious I don't buy it but, but I like but it. I do like I agree I like the the idea that Picard knows through Sarek and that that Spock did to tell Kirk in confidence, mm. but the fact that we can never see either of those things, like the fact that that Sarek, that Picard as Sarek doesn't say Michael's name in that scene, mm. um, like for obvious reasons, she didn't exist when it was filmed. Like I get it, but it makes me more angry at that at the at the omission, like irrationally angry. The fact that Michael isn't mentioned in that scene because it was such a secret. Like, it's it's so hidden mm. in Sarek now. You know, like, Sarek mentions his his other kids. So, so it, it's, like, deeply subconscious. Yeah. And I feel like they could have just said their sacrifice will be remembered even if the, the full truth can never be known. You know, that would have been something. It would have been bittersweet and sad and tragic which I think is what they were going for and instead of, but what they gave us just made us angry yeah and the fact I mean I, I love that Amanda and and uh, Spock get an embrace while he's explaining that they will never speak of her again which is terrible I mean they can speak at like family reunions or whatever but we know for a fact they don't have mm. very many so so it's just really like sad to me but we don't get Sarek and just one shot you know they didn't want to pay him for the episode or whatever but one shot of James Crane being sad about this you know new secret that he has to hold would have made the ending feel less of a slap in the face to me like the whole I just hated I hated the entire epilogue I hated the the Starfleet Admiral guy who was like a bald white man who we don't see right it felt like a return to generic plot device admirals i hated everybody saying their name except number one because she wants to be cool or whatever and like i get i get that that is part of her her like i get why people like that but i personally don't like that i would have liked her to say her name in that instance yeah because pike refers to her as yuna which i don't love but it was sort of you know it's sort of fits it's a pun it's been part of beta canon for a while it's uh, was chosen in honor of una mccormack whose work i quite like you know it's just give her a goddamn name and and yeah and i again i don't like that it we don't get any discovery it's just the the crew mm. i don't like that spock shaves his evil hipster beard because it's symbolic of going it, it's symbolic of going back to what we knew instead of mm. accepting uh the wider world that discovery created and i get you know sad about it i enjoyed the symbolism of spock returning to his purpose by shaving his beard i was just very distracted by how terrible his sideburns were i agree with you that i think I try. I I did try to watch it again. I guess I, I watched mm. it again, but I was I was uh, paying attention to my phone for, for that part because <laughs> I, it was like I don't really need to get all rage angry again. So I'm just going to you know listen to this and not really. Mm. And so it, it. I hope that at some point in the future it will be a nice 
Valentine to, you know, the saying goodbye to the 23rd century. And, and I, I came to, to really like Pike over this series. I obviously have this ridiculous obsession with Lieutenant Mann. Mm. I, I love that number one finally got to do something in the very end. And I loved the moment of the hand grasp between number one and Admiral Cornwell. It almost came close to fulfilling my desire for Kat to mentor a female officer. Yes, yeah, why couldn't number season? one just be the person who, like, why did it have to be Pike? It could have, could have done that scene and have, have number one argue. Hmm. But no. And... and and honestly, I feel like if Kat had sacrificed herself for number one, saying, I know you're going to do extraordinary things, that would have been great because that sort of fulfills the whole idea of this character we know nothing about, but we find so interesting. Yes. That would have just advanced that. Exactly. Instead of, we already all like Pike. We already all know mm. he's going to do extraordinary things. We already know how his story ends. We know nothing about number one. So give her that moment. I mean, obviously, I would be upset anyway. Even if I was completely okay with the the execution of Cat's death, I would be very upset. I have never lost a character who I was still actively obsessed with. You know, like I have a I have a, a long list of characters that Canon destroys and or dies while I am obsessed with them. It is like my thing. If I, you know, Cat was was marked for death because I liked her. So, wow! Thanks. Yeah, I know. I, I like they. It's it's ridiculous, and obviously the universe isn't out to get me. But sometimes it really feels like whatever it is about a character that I like means that they're disposable to mm-hmm. the people who are in charge of writing that character. Yeah. Fine. I guess I'm just gonna have to put a reasonable female authority figure in my novel. It's fine. Yeah, and and that's what they always tell us, you know, write your own. It's like, yeah, mm. but but spite is a motivation. All of the, uh, you know, the the huge audience of uh, Star Trek Discovery is not going to be watching the thing that I make if I made it for next year. You know, like <laughs> like I know, I know my reach, and it is not that, so it's not the same. Yeah. It's never the same. Like, I've written 2,500 words of fix-it-fic already. I hate fix-it-fic. I despise myself right now. But I'm really having fun. But I know it's not the same. I'm just... I'm in the denial stage. Anyway, let's talk about some things that I really liked before we wrap up. One is Michael's trip through time and how it looks like nothing else we've ever seen in Star Trek or I think any previous depiction of time travel in science fiction what it looks like to me was alice falling down the rabbit hole yeah absolutely and the music was really good in that moment too i just want to shout out to jeff russo that was a really beautiful because it it was required for it to be good because Mm. not Mm. there's no other like the there's no other sound and it's just like really it was quiet in the right way it was small, like a lot of the effects were yes, just that visually a close up beautiful. on Michael. And, yeah, it, and I liked that it sort of called back to her very first, uh, in the very first episode when she goes out to look and, you know, and yes. starts the Klingon War. It's had like a, it's, so it, I like the parallel imagery of this episode and the first episode. Like they, they did well. I liked that this and also the uh, season premiere with the uh, pod thing through the asteroids that was similar as well. And I think, you know, Michael is secretly an adrenaline junkie <laughs> like Philippa Giorgio and like Jean-Luc Picard. This is how we know she will make a great captain one day. There were a lot of uh, while we're discussing things that we really like the parallel mm. moments, the the part where Spock and uh, Michael touched hands in their Vulcan salute, which brought back mm. the scene, I think, from the, the second childhood. episode. Yeah. Where yeah. That was beautiful. And they didn't give us a flashback to, to hammer the point home. They, they let us make the connection. <laughs> back at the end. But they didn't in that moment, yes. And and that was like, <laughs> I, I like posted on, on Tumblr, I, this might be my favorite part mm. of the entire episode, was that 
because they it was again a quiet silent moment between the two of them that was about their relationship not about sending spock Spock. on the correct path to his perfect life or whatever and it's like that moment to for me that moment said more about how much he needs her than when he said it yes although when he says i love you in vulcan because he cannot express the words in english that was just amazing that was beautiful i love that this uh season was about their relationship i just uh i wish it had yeah there's not there's just not this over there's not an arc that i can find (laughs) there's a lot of ideas and not a lot of yeah, it feels like they had so many really interesting ideas for this season and they didn't give themselves time to explore any of them in sufficient depth. And I was talking about it with my flatmate and we kind of, you know, if we were the showrunners, which is a classic game Star Trek fans play, we were saying we would have just made it about the aftermath of the war and rebuilding and, you know, at control as a, a threat assessment AI that doesn't understand or believe in the concept of peace anymore and something 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 Spock you know he does computers he's connected in some way whatever blah 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 and we could have saved the time travel for another season because it felt like a very unfocused season with too many themes that were not fully explored and it didn't it felt slightly disconnected from season one Michael says, you know, you're, you're expecting me to take a leap of faith. And mm. I, and like that, the season was sort of trying to make it about that too. Like there was a lot of faith <laughs> involved in this, ep- in this um, season, but they, it never really made the point. What that felt like to me was when I get to the end of a fic and I don't quite know how to wrap it up, so I go and read the first few paragraphs and see if I said anything cool there that I can bring full circle in the final the final few sentences. Yeah. That's what that was like to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. It was like we're going to wave at the theme of this season, mm. but we're not actually mm. going to express the theme of this season. Like it, it didn't yeah. it didn't actually make that the theme. It just sort of said mm. this could be the theme. Why don't you you intelligent fans go figure it out for yourselves and explain it to us. And it's possible that faith versus reason is a really big nebulous concept and pair of concepts that we can't just resolve in 14 episodes and it was more of a motif and recurring concepts than a theme but in the advanced publicity for the show for the season that's that's what they were saying it was about it was about faith hope and family yeah which i guess it was but it was about a lot of other things as well and none of those other things were really dealt with in much depth yeah the whole like this the when we when we got all the flashbacks from earlier in this season during Michael's time loops mm. you know it it was like we would see the angel from the perspective of you know that we had already seen like from the perspective of Michael on the ground from the perspective of you know we would see that scene again and we would see Michael looking down at them and i was like what am i supposed to get out of this this is clearly important I felt like it was saying, this is Michael all along. She has been the key to this entire season. But, but, but that's not a revelation. We, yeah, we already that knew has that. That's been the case. Since, yeah. And I feel, feel like this is almost a problem with a sort of trend of puzzle box storytelling. And, you know, season one had these big twists that were very strongly misdirected. And they, it felt like they were trying to do the same thing with season two. Like they had so many mysteries, but a lot of them were either not very mysterious or not very interesting. And we just, we just didn't need so much. We could have had the time travel in season three. I am not opposed to sending Discovery into the future. Like I said, I don't love far future science fiction, but I think it's a really interesting idea. And... I mean, on one hand, it's sort of like, now I can get the Enterprise show that I actually wanted. Because it's Mm. people who are unprepared for what they find. Because they are from a different place in... in... And it's like, you know, maybe this time it will be like Voyager. And that sense of isolation, but done better. And 
you know, in cause and effect that ends with a 23rd century ship being pulled through to the 24th century and they live there now. You know, it's always interesting to wonder what happens to those people. Well, that's, that's a story that I'm keen to see, but I wasn't done with the 23rd century. And I think this could have been executed better. Yeah, the end really just, like, that is what sours me, is that it really feels like we're sending everything you love about what this series did for this time period that we already knew mm. away. Yeah. And again, the yeah. people who, who say STD isn't canon can now be like <laughs> and it is always std yeah. and now and now they they seem to like see it's we're now we're following your fake canon by never talking about it again yeah i mean i kind of apparently i am not interested in a pike series that cannot have cat but i kind of do still want it because i want it to be tremendously queer and diverse and to have star trek's first trans characters and you know, all of that. I want it to be everything that section of fandom will hate. I I want Discovery Season 3. I want to see where they go and what they do and those yeah. characters. And I, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm even, even the Section 31 show, I'm like, I don't understand what the Section 31 show is even going to be about. But, I mean, I guess it'll be more like they hit in the real covert ops if if they're if they have a blank page and they can start section 31 over again but is it Giorgio starting up section 31 in the 33rd century <laughs> yeah, i don't know cuz she's she's or, in the wrong place so it doesn't really yeah and we know that like is, season 3 start happens first so i guess she gets back if not all of them get back she gets back mm. somehow but but that seems well, weird too like the whole thing everything is weird <laughs> yeah, and maybe this is my scenario of the alternate timeline that turns out to be just there for a few episodes just to get the hopes up of the haters and then we restore the real timeline and we'll go back to the 23rd century. And then I'll have to put up with the 23rd century with that cat, which I'm not ready to do, but I am open to moving on at some point in the future. Maybe. How about... Anyway. Mm-hmm. 20 what 32nd century Georgia mm -hmm. yes crosses over to the Terran universe and goes back in time to get Meerkat and brings her back for the section 31 show <laughs> like an evil buddy cop yeah, series, evil buddy cop series. <laughs> why not they can pick up prime Lorca too oh he's just like Please try not to kill too many people. Oh, oh look, there's blood everywhere. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I, I think in my head he's Marvin the Paranoid Android, which I feel like is a role that Jason Isaacs would probably enjoy. I think I like this series. Thank okay, you. You're welcome. We can, we can imagine mm. that. Mm. And again, it can be in our heads. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I don't know. I am a very, I, again, I'm still in sort of Vulcanoid. Uh, mm. I don't know what I feel about anything anymore right now period. I really, I really, I, I can't, I don't know. I don't have any feelings towards any of the series, <laughs> including the Picard series as announced. I'm sort of like, oh, I, all I want is the Starfleet Academy series. I want the Starfleet Academy series to be about Pike, Georgiou, Lorca, and Cornwell. And because all of them, we know, have a terrible fate. And so you, you compared it on Tumblr to the Clone yeah. Wars, and now I, I like I read that, and I was like, "But these actors cannot like I don't want to see these characters recast." And then I was like, "Oh my god, dodgy Lucasfilm style CGI animation." Yes, good go. <laughs> yeah, right. It can be an animated series. Yeah, that would be uh, yeah. that would be in the in the right you know, the, you know age group. It would be a good teen. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind them being recast because I love, I just, I, I love different versions of characters and how they, I don't know, it's really, it's really interesting to me because then that, that's how you see what the core characteristics of a person are. Mm. That's true and I agree, but I'm also very fixated on noses and Jane Brooke has a very uh, idiosyncratic profile. Okay. 
I, 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 I think that I'm, I'm not fixated on noses or maybe even appearance. So it's probably best that way. <laughs> so I, I, it has, it has not bothered me. <laughs> I, yeah. So that I want that series. That's the series that I'm most invested in. The series that doesn't exist. Um, and also, I think that I would be really good at writing it. So everyone should tweet at uh, CBS to hire me <laughs> to make this series for them because. It I, it, I, I honestly, I was, I was already into the idea of a Starfleet Academy series, but the fact that that quartet is doomed makes it even it more sense. interesting to me. It makes it like, oh yeah, I could definitely get everyone to love these characters and be really, really upset that they all have terrible endings. I think we could probably, we haven't talked about Hugh and Paul, but... That's okay. <laughs> They're back together. I okay. liked that, but I don't have strong feelings about it. I thought there would be more drama in their getting back yeah, together. My favorite. It, it was to me. It seemed very convenient. But what I did like was that Paul lost. He like Hugh died while Paul was in a medical coma, and mm. uh, now now he's back in a medical yeah, coma. And, and they, yeah. So that's like that's nice symmetry. I like that. <laughs> And Ash is not on the ship, so Hugh is safe. Yeah, Ash is not on the ship, so, and so I guess uh, that the Ash and Michael relationship really is donezo. Over. So. Uh, oh, well, I feel like I liked it while it was happening, but I feel like it had run its course. Yeah, it's just interesting to me because they really, like, I mean, uh, up to the fact that this final episode is, is uh, titled after Romeo and Juliet, they really mm. felt like a Romeo and Juliet, like they like that's it felt what like they an were. End that's game. what they were trying to yeah. to uh, get across for that particular. Yeah, they felt like an end game. Yes, in the parlance, correct. So it's, it's yes. so it's interesting to me that it's like no, they. I mean, I guess they're even more star crossed now, <laughs> but time crossed. <laughs> time crossed. Uh, so maybe I'm wrong and they are going to be in. Let's not speculate. But yeah. So those relationships happened. <laughs> hmm. I'm just picturing episode two of season three. Discovery returns to the 23rd century. Hello. Where's our stuff? Oh, we declared you dead. And also you don't officially exist anymore. So we gave all your stuff away. Sorry. Uh, awkwardness and right. But let's all agree that. Sarah and Amanda keep Michael's bedroom exactly as it is. I'm sure that they have always kept it as it was when she was 17. Yes. So whatever a 17-year-old raised on Vulcan nerd puts on her walls, that's that, yep. like... And they just, you know, people ask you, what, what's this? Or, you know, yeah. that's classified. <laughs> we can, yeah. we can do that. We're yeah. ambassadors, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our personal social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, ant- at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures. If you like us, leave an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for the easier it is for new listeners to find us. I'm sorry, I was drinking a gin and tonic while I recorded this. I don't usually do that when we record at my breakfast time. Join us in two weeks for a discussion of Starfleet's Admiralty. Incidentally, when I was making a spreadsheet of every named Starfleet, Starfleet Admiral that actually turns up in the series, I was classifying them by whether they're like a plot device or an antagonist or an out-and-out villain. villain. And I noticed that of the very few admirals who are actually allies, I was like, man, a lot of these characters die. Oh, well, luckily that won't happen to Kat. Bum, bum. <laughs>